Hi, I'm KS Garner, and you're listening to the Solo Nerd Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with the creator and writer of the comic series, Robo, Jesse Kepler, here to promote the comic's fifth issue currently on Kickstarter. Welcome back, Jesse. Thanks for having me back. It's great to see you again. Good to see you as well. Thanks for reaching out. I believe the first interview we did was, what, in February of the same year, right? Yeah, for the fourth issue Kickstarter. Uh, I had so much fun, I, I decided to see if you were open to doing it again. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks for reaching out. I appreciate it. But uh, outside my introduction, who is Jesse Kepler and what are you about? So I am a uh, amateur, I, well, I'm a novice comic, comic book writer uh, from Raleigh, North Carolina, or living in Raleigh, North Carolina. I work in tech as my day job, and I've always wanted to write comic books. Um, so during the pandemic, I decided that it was time to start doing that. Um, I've been doing it now for almost two full years, and I think it's going pretty well. It's a lot different than I imagined it would be when I was a kid. Um, it's fun most of the time, and there's a lot more work on things that I wouldn't have expected, promotional stuff, making sure schedules are on time, like managing those sorts of things. And a lot of things that I'm still learning to do. Um, but uh, Robo is a comic that I care a lot about. It's based on a character that I created as a kid and I've updated um, to be more adult and more modern. Uh, it is a cyberpunk superhero comic book. Um, and it's about uh, a world where corporations have replaced governments and that um, it's a little bit dystopian, but there is still a need for superheroics in a way. However, the main character thinks he's a superhero, but his employer, the corporation that created his um, cybernetic armor, thinks of him as a PR tool or as a marketing tool for their um, defense technologies. And so the comic book itself has themes of um, trying to find your place in the world when other people are defining you or um, you know, what labels mean to us in a society. Do the, do the power of labels come from other people or do they come from ourselves? So what, I guess, can you give like a brief uh, recap of issues one through four and what should readers expect um, with issue five that's now out on Kickstarter. Absolutely. Um, so issues one through four are a uh, lead in. Uh, I'll start by saying that the fifth issue is the action beat of the first story arc. So there'll be six issues in the first arc. And this fifth issue is going to be a huge amount of action. Um, the artist Renzo Podesta has done an amazing job with the action pages, especially the ones where I said, I don't have a plan for this page just draw something awesome, he knocked it out of the park. But to get there, um, so the first issue is about an introduction to the character, getting an idea of what's going on in that world. I try to do some world building while also introducing um, this sort of unknown danger that is largely being ignored by what's going, by the people who run the city by the corporation that employs Robo. Um, and the main character, Charles, is trying to balance that feeling of wanting to be a hero with his duty to his job. 
And at the very end, he actually gets in trouble for going to investigate what's going on because he misses a sales meeting, um, which leads us into the second issue where that meeting happens and you kind of see these really uh, part of that sales dog and pony show. He shows up, he gets shot at by the defense technology that they're trying to sell. It all goes well and, you know, he makes the sale so he gets a congratulations now instead of getting yelled at by his boss. Um, and the, the plot in the second issue revolves a little bit around um, more bad things happening back home that actually need to be addressed because this time they threaten uh, the property and systems of the, co the corporation. So now it's suddenly a priority instead of this other thing which hasn't really affected their, their profits. Um, in a third issue, we get a little bit closer look at, at Charles outside of the armor, um, goes out on the city, spends some time with one of his friends, gets some, uh, I, I won't say like rumors, but he, he gets a, you know, a talking to from his friend about like the state of things when you don't work for a major corporation and how difficult life can be. And um, the two of them end up going on an adventure to uh, investigate some things that people have been reporting in that lower level that's been happening like below the veil um, of what's going on in the city. And they find something shocking, uh, something kind of scary and uh, a little bit in the horror vein of things. Um, and that seems very serious to Charles. And that's where the end of the third issue happens, um, which leads to the fourth issue is actually more of a flashback. <clears throat> so we end with a cliffhanger in the third issue and we start the fourth issue um, basically leading up to some backstory, uh, leading up to where we are at that moment. Um, the history of the Robo Project, the history of Sunburst, his employer company, dealing with technology that may or may not be kosher. Um, and some of the things that happen to the people who work on those projects that uh, aren't, aren't the best things. And then as that story wraps up, we cut back to where Charles was at the end of the third issue. And we start to see that trouble is really brewing now. We've got um, protests. We've got this thing beneath the city that is really posing a lot of danger. Um, we have Charles's friend in like a, a dire medical situation. And again, we, we end with sort of a, a flashpoint. And that's where the fifth issue will start. And that's where the action starts. Not yeah, that there wasn't you, any action before that, but that's where the big action starts. Yeah, so when you when you sent it to me and I was reading it, um, I didn't realize at first that some of it was a flashback um, because um, I kind of figured it was because of the difference in the art style in a way so it's like so this comic we don't know is like strictly in well for the most part like i guess like 95 percent in black and white right 
Yeah, um, there's one page of color in the fourth issue to to really sell that action point. Yeah, but it's mostly in black and white. So you're working in black, white, and some shades of gray, um, which I actually kind of like. Um, but it was this stark difference from the black and white and like a little bit of pointillism um, for shading, which I liked as well. And then it goes into like this fuzzy, um, kind of like it's been like maybe scruffed off. I don't know what kind of effect that is that was used for the for the flashbacks, but I kind of figured because it was like, oh, they're like fuzzy memories. That kind of makes sense yeah. to me. Um, and I also like a, the fact that it's not a whole lot of uh, dialogue or information that you're being given. You're kind of figuring out what's going on through um, the emotions and the action that's expressed on the page, which I really like as well. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. And I have, uh, I have such an appreciation for what Renzo was able to do there. I said um, in my script notes, um, you know, maybe we do this all in gray tones. And he came back to me and he said, I don't know if that's really going to play out that well, but um, I've got an idea and I think you're going to like it. <clears throat> and then he didn't say anything to me for a while. He was just working on it. Um, you said uh, like scrubbed off. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that was like, I, I lit up when you said that because that is exactly how he did it. Um, oh. so the first page that he did, he, um, he tried putting some, like some ink splatter and then blotting it off. And he oh. liked the way that that looked, although ultimately he ended up doing the, the overlay in, in digital so that he could make corrections. But, uh, that's, that's how he got the idea for that. <clears throat> it's, a, it's like a wiped scrubbed ink spray kind of thing. Um, uh -huh. And I really like that it came out that way. Uh, I'm glad that you were able to figure it out. I, I was worried that you were going to say it was hard to, to discern, but you nailed all the parts that I loved about it. Um, and especially the the fuzziness and like the the variability of it, I think really did what I was going for. Um, if you look at Phil's pages from issues one and two, there are a couple of flashback panels and we did kind of do the grayscale thing there. Um, but I don't know if it holds up quite as well as what Renzo did in the fourth issue mm -hmm. in terms of flashback. Yeah, and like I said before, with the limited dialogue, I think it works not having any of the uh, dialogue bubbles, speech bubbles, or any type of description that's offered, especially during those pages where it's blotted off in a way, because I feel like when you have color comics, the speech bubbles kind of break up the pages and they kind of catch your eye whereas with this when it's in black and white and working with the dot work it can get too crowded on the page with everything being yeah. in black and white so again I think it Rinsdale's work works for this type of concept that yeah. you're working on he's done an amazing job of um, working toward black and white and one of the things that I've learned from working with him, I thought lots of grayscale gray was going to be the trick. And what Renzo has shown me is that actually lots of like solid color has made it play better in black and white. 
Um, so I've been really proud of his uh, just ability there, like to to know that, to do it, to um, to execute it very well. <clears throat> but uh, the other thing I was going to say about that was um, that uh, the emotion stuff was big for me in the script. And we did have to go back and forth a couple times, um, possibly because of some language barrier. I mean, Renzo speaks really good English, but he's Argentinian. And so there, um, the scene in the restaurant, I, I asked him to change uh, Rachel Cross's face, I think three times. And eventually he's like, I just don't know what you're trying to say. And I was like, ah, I'll change a little bit of the dialogue and it'll fit better. <laughs> But that was a really important thing to me is I wanted to show emotion and I don't like to do captions mm -hmm. or voiceovers. Uh, it, it's, it's better for me when, when the reader gets to pull their own interpretation out and hopefully it matches what I'm trying to say. Uh -huh. So could you elaborate on your creative process on Robo throughout the series? Has there, has it been calm and smooth sailing throughout? Has it been any changes, delays, or anything that's happened you'd like to advise others in regards to working on a lengthy series like this? Yeah, um, I mean, the most obvious one is I had to change artists. Uh, so Phil Apley and I worked together for the first two issues, and uh, we were going to work together for the third issue, but... Um, he had another project because of a delay on my end. Um, so after the, I wasn't working at the beginning of the series. So I was doing this out of savings and it went well. And I, I, well, I didn't make money, but I did well enough. And I did the second issue. Uh, but I said to Phil like, okay, so Christmas is coming up at this time. Uh, I don't want to run a Kickstarter like over the Christmas break. So it's going to have to wait until January. And, you know, listen, man, I don't have a job right now. So I can't like start paying you for the third issue. And he was like, okay, cool. But, you know, he got some other work and he wasn't available for the, for the third issue. So I didn't want to lose momentum and I didn't want to, uh, to wait and see if he became available again. So I ended up working with Renzo instead and that's been going very well for us. Um, we did have some delays after the third issue. Um, my computer over here that I use for comics basically bit the dust and uh, Renzo had to move for, you know, it took him like a month or so to move. So those kind of, pushed issue four back a little bit mm -hmm. and then um i would have said that like i mean there's only been four four issues and i guess what i've just said is that there's been a gap between almost all of them but uh you know we were going we we're growing well on the back end in terms of like producing comics for a while and um so last few months i've had some writer's block trying to end the story arc and then you know just other things happening in life, spring, work, et cetera. Um, so at least from my perspective, there's been a big gap and a big delay. Renzo is working on stuff for the series that'll be coming out hopefully maybe by the end of this year or early next year. So he's still working on it, but there are delays. And, um, you know, as an independent creator, it's both... It's like easier for me to have delays because there's the deadline is imposed by me. 
-hmm. but it's also harder because um, if I stop, it stops. Like there's, Renzo is working on stuff that I've commissioned him to do, but once he finishes, if I'm not giving him more stuff, there's nobody else working on it. Uh -huh. So that's, that's difficult for me um, because sometimes like with writer's block, like you just want to get through it and you don't want to like force it. But I also know that like too long of a gap is kind of like starting over. Yeah. So how have you been able to manage your mental well-being, not just as a creator and working on a series and trying to maintain the momentum, but just as you and you know you have a home that you have to take care of and maybe i'm not sure if you have anyone else you have to take care of and then um you know just trying to work and maybe even just trying to live a life outside of comics and whatever it may be so like how do you manage your mental well-being when i guess it does become overwhelming or when you do struggle with writer's block or maybe whatever else is outside of the home that you don't want to bring into your work or interrupt the work so like how do you deal with your mental well-being when things kind of get rough not super well <laughs> uh -huh. um i think you know this spring has had a lot of stuff like that the writer's mm -hmm. block came first and then other things sort of distracted me because i wasn't flowing and then it's easier and easier to get distracted the, the less in it you are um so things were going well with like working and taking care of the home and, and working on the comic and all of that stuff when I was in the rhythm. And when the rhythm got interrupted, it became harder and harder. And what I've been experiencing is it's harder to get back into the rhythm, which is what I was saying. Like, I don't want to let it fall too long because then the rhythm will be completely gone. Um, one of the pieces of advice that I read really early on and you know very foolishly i think ignored was uh somebody who was a, an established name said you need to manage your time rigidly or not rigidly but like routinely um and i think you know in the comment thread on whatever twitter thread it was he clarified and said like i set aside you know three hours this day of the week for writing you know, two hours this day a week for writing, five hours on a weekend day, and like half an hour each day for writing or cleaning up ideas. Mm -hmm. And for me during the pandemic, I was like, eh, you know, that's either not a much, not enough or too much. You know, when I'm, when you're not working and nobody's doing anything, it's a lot easier to be like, well, I'll work on the comic for 12 hours today and two hours tomorrow, and then not for three days and then 10 more hours on, you know, such and such day. And I don't have that luxury anymore. And it's been difficult to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so the management aspect, especially for the mental health thing, um, they call it like habit stacking. Is yeah. where you, you like have a habit that you're good at and you attach another habit to it to try to get into the groove of that. And that's something that I'm going to start trying to do with the comic, especially after this fifth Kickstarter. Like, whatever I do routinely for like an hour, you know, maybe four times a week, I'm going to try to add 30 minutes to an hour of working on the comic. And hopefully not spend all that time 
just on Twitter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just call me out. Okay. Um. <laughs> I wasn't trying to call you out. I was trying to call me out. Um, Although I will say I follow you on Twitter. It does remind me. I'm like, oh yeah, I should reach out to Kayla. <laughs> Which is, the, that's what we're going for, right? Is to, to stay in people's minds. But yeah, what I find is I will be like, oh yeah, I, you know, I made posts about the comic book for half an hour today. I'm going to check that as working on the comic. Mm -hmm. And that is what leads me to being like, you know, still needing to letter pages halfway through the campaign. Mm -hmm. So... My last question for you, Jesse, is what is your idea of success? So as you continue working on the Robo series through successful crowdfunding and building an audience that allows you to create the work you love, has your definition of success shifted in any way since the last time you spoke in February to now? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think I said last time my goal is to break even and that is definitely still my goal like i haven't gotten there so that's that's still the next thing um excuse me i am looking towards doing in-person convention appearances i think that's going to be like the next big step um i'll have a collection coming out and that's going to be like a big milestone for me after the sixth issue there will be a collection um, and I'm really excited about that because I can put it on the shelf over here next to all my other comic books. But um, I think like the next big success, like the, the thing that I can point to that I'm maybe, I haven't even 100% decided this, but like I think the next big goal of a success would be getting a publisher. Um, the reason I'm not, sure about it is there are a lot of trade-offs that come with that um there's less editorial control there's more schedule um those sorts of things will come into play and then you need to decide if those are are worth it so mm. it's something that interests me i, I think it, it would certainly be um something that i could look to and be like not only have i made this but it's you know it was good enough to get published and now a lot more people can see it. And that would actually be the real success for me is, is to really grow that audience a lot. Um, because I, I care a lot about this and I think, it's, I think it's pretty good. I hope that a lot of people read it. I think it's good. I like good. it a lot. Good. Um, but is there anything else that you wanted to touch on about the Rebel issues or uh, the series as a whole that I may have missed? Sure. Um, so the, the series, this is, uh, so the writing, the writer's block, I'll talk about this part. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that it was difficult for me to finish this arc because there were a lot of things that I wanted to fit in and it was hard to cut things out. It was actually not having a, tr a problem filling pages. It was having a problem picking the right storylines that I wanted to go in. Um, and I wanted to pick the right stuff so that if you only ever read those six, like when the collection comes out, if that was the only one you ever found, that you would feel like you got a good full story. Um, 
while still leaving the door open for the future because I do plan to continue. Uh, and what ended up happening there is like, there are a lot of stories that I want to add to the comic and I'm not sure if I will have time or opportunity to fit them in later, which kind of led to me like with a log jam. Um, so that kind of gave me a bit of the writer's block, but the, um, the overall story and the overall themes are becoming like more relevant, I guess, as um, shit has gone wrong in the world. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I read that one part about the fertility. I was like, oh, that's, that's getting, getting a little too close, a little too close to home. Yeah, <laughs> the fertility part, wait, yeah. <laughs> wait until the sixth issue when I actually come back to that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, that was actually, so that was what I was getting toward is, is actually, um, so Robo one through six was a realization of a childhood dream. And it was something that I've always wanted to do for myself, you know, because I love making, or because I love comics and I like making up stories a lot. Um, and one of the realizations that I had is that going forward from here, it's, you know, that goal has been achieved. Now it's got to be about a story that I really want to tell. And I know where I want that to go now, but it does mean that like, I do have to pick the right threads of the story to make sure that I really am telling the story I want to. Uh -huh. So tie that into what you just said. One of the things that actually helped me get there was sadly to say bad news in the world reminded me like, oh, I do have a place to put my feelings about this because I have this world that I've been working on where this kind of shit happens. So yeah, unfortunately, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, it gave me some inspiration to come back to that thread. And I was like, yeah, this needs to go in the sixth issue. So. Yeah. But then again, <laughs> losing bodily autonomy is not unheard of in sci-fi fantasy or like yeah. you know, dystopian type of books anyway i mean it's just the the timing is right is, yes you know. and that's uh you know i want to i don't want to come at it heavy-handed because mm -hmm. it doesn't affect me in the same way as it affects 51 percent of the world's population or 51 percent of the united states population but i do have strong feelings about it and so mm -hmm. i want to get in that sci-fi angle that you know letting corporations put things into your body or control your body doesn't always work out great yeah and we've already seen that in robo as well the implants that people use which are largely a metaphor for our phones are also you know in the in the secondary story and at the end of the second issue like they don't really care as much about what happens to you when your brain is switched off. Yeah, exactly. Um, is there anything else about the Kickstarter you wanted to discuss? Maybe like, do you have rewards? Do you know, do, do you know the rewards you're offering to potential backers? Yes. So for the fifth Kickstarter, you can get the whole series. You can get one issue of the, of the series. Um, you can get all of the existing rewards that have been made. And those are um, three different sticker packs, which I really love. Those are a huge favorite. 
got a full color print of one of my favorite pages from Robo number three is available. Um, some custom postcards that were made by Phil for the first Kickstarter. I've got a fridge magnet. I've got, um, well, there's, there's always the availability of original art because Renzo will send me his, Renzo works physical most of the time. So actually have like real unique pages that people can get at the highest tier. And then um, I was actually working on it just before we got on uh, for the fifth Kickstarter. I'm going to be doing another magnet and probably also a postcard of, it's an homage to Fantastic Four number one with, you know, robo characters. And I think it looks pretty cool. And I like mm -hmm. to pay tribute to the comic that launched the Silver Age and, you know, revolutionized superhero comics. Mm. But it's a pretty neat little thing. So those are the main uh, backer rewards. And then there are, um, there's some digital extras, some behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I put backer names in almost every, backer names, anybody who gets like, I think it's like the full series, either digital or print gets their, their name in the back of the book, um, signed comics, obviously, those sorts of things. Uh -huh. So you mentioned that you wanted to do in-person conventions. Are you planning on doing any this year? Like, I guess, later in the year? I wanted to do, there's actually one in Raleigh next mm -hmm. weekend. And I wanted to do that one, but I wasn't able to get it in time. There's another convention in Durham with the next town over that happens in November. But uh, it's been difficult for me to find out how to get into that one. Mm -hmm. I have a contact who knows the people who run it and I'm hoping that I can lean on them for that um so that's that's sort of the first one on my list is to try to do uh NC Comic Con in Durham in November and if I can't do that one then I'll target something in the spring of 2023 okay cool yeah I accept because I'm just starting to do conventions now for my own stuff and yeah. I did blurred con which was in uh, Arlington, Virginia, or it's pretty much DC. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't been there, but I did like a panel for the first oh, time. Cool. So that was pretty cool. And then I'm doing Baltimore Comic Con. So I'm actually selling my books there and I applied to do a panel there as well. Um, and then I'm just vending at different local um, places as well. And yeah, that's pretty much it for this year. And then I try to apply for some stuff for next year. So if you're ever in Baltimore, Halloween weekend, <laughs> that's where I'll be. Just to nice. let you know, everybody else know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear Baltimore is a cool place, actually. Um, there's a lot of... Really? Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I mean, I've heard that uh, like Baltimore is one of the most romantic cities. I was like, really? I didn't think... Okay. I mean, I what what people see and what I live in every single day is different. So I guess. <laughs> I think uh, several years ago, probably before I moved to North Carolina, Baltimore was kind of on the list of like, this is the most, one of the most dangerous places in the United States. It was up there with Detroit. But mm -hmm. um, people that I know from here who have moved from that area, I mean, they don't really talk shit about Baltimore. They, they seem to, to like it. Uh, I have not been. My friends in DC, however, 
talk a ton of shit about Baltimore. <laughs> I mean, they're like right, but we also people in Baltimore talk a lot of shit about DC too. So that's good. Like giving you get rival yeah. cousins almost, like uh, whatever you know. But I mean, yeah, if you want to go down to the harbor and then like Fells Point, and then you know the Shot Tower, a lot of I guess touristy places maybe, but like. I mean, I don't know. It all depends on what it is that you want to do when you get here. So right. just if you ever in if you ever want to come up here, just let me know and I'll tell you where to go and where not to go. That will be useful. <laughs> I so I all went right. to Richmond to check out GalaxyCon, which is the uh-huh. one that's happening in Raleigh. And I really enjoyed walking around Richmond. I think that's that's another nice benefit of doing conventions is checking out cities you usually wouldn't go to. But uh, the guy at the hotel, I, I was walking around a little bit and I came back to drop off something and I just happened to see the guy at the desk. He said, how are you liking Richmond so far? I said, I think it's great, uh, but I should probably ask you, like, is there some place that I shouldn't be walking around? And he was like, yeah, don't cross the bridge. <laughs> I was like, okay, good point. Yeah, we have some nice, like, nerdy places. We have, a, like, a, a tabletop bar that just opened up a couple years ago. That's a nice place to go to um but like stay in that area don't go past the intersection then you're in like you're in the hood you don't want to go there and then uh (laughs) there's another place another the next neighborhood over is Remington that's a nice place to go to as well that's more of a residential area um and then yeah you just kind of want to stay in that one area and then there's the art school that's like one street over so there's a lot of places over there you can go to as well but you don't want to venture too far out because again you'll be going into a residential area or you'll be going into you know places you don't want to be at you know i'm from here and i don't want to be over there so but yeah if you ever come into town just let me know and again i'll give you some pointers and give you some places you want to go to Cool. Yeah. I, well, I think, you know, since we started this with conventions, that's a, it's a decent point that Baltimore is a bigger city, but it's not a huge city. Mm-hmm. And so I should take a look at conventions that happen there. I don't know when it would be that I'd be like, my ambition is to do New York City Comic Con, but it's probably a ways off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have something called Balticon, which is a sci-fi fantasy that's been going on for like the past 20, 25 years. That's not Baltimore Comic Con. Yeah, um, I was there, and that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think that's the only two that I can think of. We did have an anime one, but I don't think they're doing that anymore. And yes, yeah, those are the only three that I can think of that we cool. had here. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you will be hearing from me again. <laughs> All right. Well, again, I want to thank the creator and writer of the comic series Robo, Jesse Kepler, here to promote. The comic's fifth issue currently on Kickstarter. I highly recommend our listeners to give Jesse's Kickstarter a look, share, and back if they can. All of Jesse's socials and website will be listed in this episode's details alongside the Kickstarter link for those who are interested. Again, I am KS Garner, and you've been listening to the Solo Nerd Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Kayla. It was a pleasure as always. Bye.